The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Well, greetings, family, and welcome to our brand spanking new show, Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder. I am your co-host, The Monty Man, and this is KHLT Recovery Broadcasting right here in the middle of downtown Albany, Oregon. Chris, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Monty. I, I certainly want to thank you for this opportunity. This is going to be a lot of fun. It, it is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Folks, what we're going to do is uh, we're, we're going to go through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, <clears throat> and we're going to go through it page by page. We're going to start out right at the beginning, and it's going to be a great journey. We're not going to uh, rush through this thing. We're going to take whatever time we need to. I want to give you our email address if you'd like to write us. That is take12radio at comcast.net, and that's the number 12. And you can call here at the studio as well, Monday through Friday, 9.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., and that number is 541-926-5806. You can send your comments, your questions, uh, whatever you'd like to do. If you, if you can't stand us, that's okay, too. We just want to know that you're listening. Uh, Chris, I really said very little about what, what we're doing. Why don't you expound on that? Okay, Monty, uh, what, I, what I'd really like to accomplish over the next, I don't know, it might take us six months, is to go through the book Alcoholics Anonymous page by page, line by line, and talk about uh, talk about the implications of the information in the book. You know, we're going to be talking a little bit about the history, uh, a little bit about the, the practical application of uh, the, the spiritual instructions in the book, uh, but um, I'm just... I'm just really looking forward to doing this with you. Uh, I think anyone that hasn't um, hasn't really studied the book Alcoholics Anonymous and suffers from uh, some kind of addictive uh, uh, disease or uh, or even obsessive compulsive disorder could do well uh, by paying attention to some of uh, some of the things that you can learn in this book. And, and, and I, I'm really excited about this because. And, and folks, listen to me very closely. Um, this isn't meant to criticize your home group. This isn't meant to criticize today's AA. Uh, we just really strongly believe in helping to let you know what the book says. Now, whether you agree or disagree, that's fine. But it is what it is. This is what it says. And one of the things that I want to, uh, I really wanted to share with you folks is Chris is he's one of these guys that is is really one of the most sought-after uh, circuit speakers out there. He knows his stuff, and he depends on God to, to lead him to share these things. And I'm not a chapter-and-verse kind of person. I wasn't that way in Bible college. I'm not that way with uh, my 12-step fellowship. I just I, I can refer to things, but I don't know where they are. I just can't retain that stuff. So it's going to be a real treat, Chris, to have you do this, because I know you know this thing uh, quite, quite well. Um, well, th- thank you, Monty. Yeah. And certainly, I want to start with uh, stating, uh, for the record, that I don't—I don't speak uh, for Alcoholics Anonymous, or, or uh, I'm not admitting to membership in Al- Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. What, uh, what I do, though, want to uh, share is—is is, um, you know, my the understanding that I've come to through through many years using this book as a, as a personal tool 
uh, of recovery and spiritual enhancement. So, you know, I'll echo you, uh, Monty, uh, saying if anyone if anyone uh, wishes to disagree, or or uh, I'm sure if I'm quoting history, I'm going to get something wrong. Uh, you know, we're 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 really just uh, just going to do the best we can with yeah. this, and and there's nothing official about this. This is just. Uh, this is just us sharing uh, uh, sharing our experience with uh, with the text. Great, great. Well, let's start. Okay, I you know I, I would like to start um, a little bit with the history of uh, the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, you you do uh, a great show with Dick B. Uh, he certainly is a historian uh, that surpasses uh, anything that I've <laughs> I've done myself as far as the the history of the book. Uh, but uh, it does. Uh, it, it should be said that uh, uh, in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous, basically what was happening was there were two groups. There was one in Akron and one in Cleveland. And really, what they were were they were the drunk squads of the Oxford group. Uh, and and uh, what was happening was more and more they were uh, they were uh, being uh, marginalized or or they were marginalizing themselves out of the mainstream of the Oxford group, and the alcoholics were really kind of sticking together, and at times kind of upsetting the, the mainstream Oxford groupers. So it, it came time for, um, uh, for Bill Wilson to, uh, uh, he decided that we really needed a text. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they needed a text for, um, uh, to, to really write down uh, a bit of the history and a bit of the recovery program as they knew it. And, and it started uh, somewhere around 1938 or so. Uh, Bill started putting together the first chapters of, uh, of this book. And really only, uh, only after the book was, uh, was published uh, did the groups who really were already uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings start to, uh, start to refer to the fellowship as Alcoholics Anonymous. So really the birth of the book, in a way, was a birth of uh, the fellowship as we, uh, as we know it today. Now, I want to start, um, I want to start uh, Monty on the dust jacket. Now, uh, for anyone that wants to uh, follow along, what I have in front of me is a fourth edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's the 18th printing. It was printed in August 2006. And I'm going to start on the dust jacket because, you know, so many times when you, uh, when you want to read a book, you'll go to page one. That is a huge mistake in this book uh, because a lot of the forewords and certainly the doctor's opinion that, um, uh, that they, use, they use Roman numerals, if you skip that, you're skipping some really, really important stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to start with, um, uh, with the dust jacket, uh, and this is from the fourth edition, uh, 2001. Originally published in 1939, when AA membership numbered about 100, Alcoholics Anonymous has steadily grown in readership. By the time the second edition appeared in 1955, membership had reached over 150,000, and the big book, AA members' fond title for their basic text, had reached a distribution of more than 300,000. Now, I want to point something out. That's just the first paragraph uh, on the dust jacket. And mm-hmm. what it's saying is there was over 150,000 members of Alcoholics Anonymous and they had published 300,000 books. That is one uh, recovered alcoholic for every, every two books that came off the printer. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is I don't know how many books have been, have been printed. It might be you know, maybe maybe one of the listeners who uh, wants to delve in into the minutia of all this more than I do could find out. But I believe we have a membership uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous today of somewhere between three million and four and a half million, depending on what statistics you use. And I'm sure we're we're uh, really really up into the printing uh, of this book. I don't think there's a one recovery for every two books. It's printed anymore. I think there's a lot of books printed uh, for mm-hmm. every uh, every person that has recovered, and this is uh, this is one of uh, one of the things that leads me to believe that recovery rates were much greater in the earlier days of of Alcoholics Anonymous than they are today. 
there's there's more information that we're going to get to later that will uh, that will support that also. But um, I tend to believe uh, that the chances, if you were um, if you sought membership and gained membership in Alcoholics Anonymous in the first ten years or so of AA, you stood a much greater chance of recovery um, than than you do today statistically. Mm-hmm. Now, there's many reasons for that, and uh, it's neither good nor bad. It's just it's just something that um, something that I see. At the time of the third edition in March 1976, the worldwide membership of AA was estimated at one million or more. Copies of Alcoholics Anonymous in circulation exceeded 1,450,000. In 1995, the General Service Conference approved the recommendation. The first 164 pages of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, the preface, the forwards, the doctor's opinion, Dr. Bob's nightmares, and the appendices remain as is. Now, that was a, I think that was a, 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 a smart move because there's been a lot of push uh, over the years uh, to update this book. Many people, um, uh, probably uh, justifiably so, say that it's written from a real sexist point of view. A lot of the language is archaic. Yet there, uh, there are a lot of people who really don't want to give over uh, the power uh, to someone or, or some committee to make changes in this book. Uh, uh, it's, it's almost, uh, almost sacred among certain members in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, at least so far, there, there, there's been a number of changes, but they, in the books, as they've been, uh, as they've gone through the different, uh, different printings and different editions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nothing really significant. Do you think, Chris, that, if that happened, if a committee was formed or an ad hoc committee or something and and there was major changes made to, for lack of a better term, keep up with today's modern society, um, do you think that that would cause a chain reaction and we'd end up with all different kinds of stuff every so many years? Uh, you know, the, the, the risk of removing even a little bit of the magic uh, that's inherent in this book is probably too great to take. Yeah. Um, you know, um, there's been a lot of decisions that have come out of New York as far as, far as uh, and when I, when I say New York, I mean, you know, the, the, the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, business, per se, uh, that's pretty much run out of, uh, out of New York. Uh, there's been a lot of decisions to put out literature. I'll, I'll give you one, one in, for instance, uh, uh, the book Living Sober. The book Living Sober is getting an unbelievable amount of criticism uh, in certain areas today uh, because there's so many parts of it that go in complete contradiction of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, like when, you, when you lay it side by side with the book Alcoholics Anonymous, it's almost talking about another program uh, entirely. And the same people who published uh, or, or approved that for conference-approved literature are, are the people who probably would be put in charge of uh, making, uh, making editorial changes to the book Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, you know, personally, I'll just I'll throw, my, I'll throw my opinion out there. Personally, I don't, I don't feel that uh, you could find a qualified body today. Mm-hmm. Uh, to 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 really mess with this, and and I think there's a lot of people that uh, that would agree with me, and certainly they've made it very very difficult uh, to make any changes in this book. I believe, and again, I'm going to start stating things right now that uh, it's been a long time since I've studied, but I believe that that for any major changes in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, you need 75 percent group approval, 75 uh, percent. Member approval, and for 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 a fellowship like Alcoholics Anonymous to get seventy five percent of the members to, to even show up to vote would be a very very <laughs> difficult thing. So they've, yeah. they've pretty much made it um, near impossible uh, to make significant changes in this, and and that's probably one of the really smart decisions uh, that's come out of uh, come out of. The- yeah, and, and I think if you it's it's you know I believe personally. That that God has has put this thing together in such a way that if you did make a significant change, 
it's going to change all sorts of things in that book. Uh, you know, the, they've they've been allowed to change things like uh, like the dust jacket. They've, right. They've, they've been allowed to change things and rewrite new forwards, and they're always worse than the edition before. So <laughs> yeah. that leads me. That really leads me to believe that you know we we would be making a big mistake, big mistake. to mm-hmm. uh, to approve somebody to rewrite this and modernize it. And you know, I'll point out. I'll point out some of the some of the ways that uh, I, I believe they've they've uh, they've fouled up a little bit. Where they've been allowed to make the changes, like on the dust jacket. And uh, if you compare a third edition dust jacket to a fourth edition dust jacket, you'll you'll see what I mean. And when you look at the forwards, you, you'll also see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there are people who um, who quite possibly have not experienced the recovery process in this book know it intellectually but don't know it experientially who really shouldn't be uh placed in a position to uh to make any editorial changes in it mm-hmm. sure sure i agree yeah the section on of personal stories was updated with new stories in the second and third editions in order to reflect the wider age range age range and different life experiences of alcoholics over the years since 1935, when Bill W. met Dr. Bob and the message of AA was born. As Bill W. wrote in a 1953 letter, the story section of the big book is far more important than most of us think. It is our principal means of identifying with the reader outside AA. It is, written equival- uh, it, it is the written equivalent of hearing speakers at an AA meeting. It is our show window of results. Continuing this policy, the fourth edition includes 24 new stories that provide contemporary sharing for newcomers seeking recovery from alcoholism in AA uh, during the years of the 21st century. 17 stories are retained from the third edition, including the Pioneers of AA section, which helps the reader remain linked to AA's historic roots and show how early members applied this simple but profound program that helps alcoholics get sober today. Approximately 21 million copies of the first three editions of Alcoholics Anonymous have been distributed. Okay, 21 million copies, and maybe there's 4 million recoveries. So the amount of books being published are, uh, are growing, and the amount of recoveries don't, um, don't equate to the way it was in the early days. Mm-hmm. It is expected that the new fourth edition will play its part in passing on AA's basic message of recovery. The fourth edition has been approved by the General Service Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous in the hope that many more may be led to recovery by reading its explanation of the AA program and its varied examples of personal experience, which demonstrate that the AA program worked. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about the story section. Uh, I believe also that the story section is vitally important. Yes. I think that identification as, yes, I am an alcoholic and I need what this book offers is a very, very important truth to come to uh, if you are indeed afflicted with with alcoholism. And a lot of the stories, there's a lot of... uh, a lot of diversity in the stories. And somewhere in there, you should be able to find something that you relate to very, very strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there's, there's been periods of time where I believe uh, people used, uh, used the stories for purposes that uh, they re- really weren't written for. Um, the, the stories, although they explain uh, a little bit about how people recovered, cannot be detailed enough uh, to, to offer a program of recovery. And there's been many stories that people have, uh, have uh, really chosen to latch on to uh, and, and use a lot of the spiritual exercises in those stories and, and believe that they're, they're practicing an AA program. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you a couple of them. Uh, one, was, uh, um, one, of, one of them was Freedom from Bondage. Um, in, in Freedom from Bondage, it gives some really good um, exercises in forgiving someone that you're resentful for. However, uh, doing it, uh, doing the exercise out of the story is not working uh, a recovery program. Uh, it's basically using uh, a spiritual technique. And there, there have been times, I think, where the, where the stories were 
uh, or misused, or um, or people put a lot more uh, a lot more emphasis on the information in them than 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 you really needed to. Again, the stories are for identification purposes. I think I think once someone has identified themselves as, as an alcoholic, believes uh, in the truth of their uh, personal powerlessness, it's time to move on um, to the to the first 164 pages. I, I agree. A lot of attention to that. I I I, I want to interject here. Uh, the first time I ever saw this book, <clears throat> I picked it up. I always had a habit of, I, you know, I love pictures, and ever since I was a kid, I'd rather see the pictures than read, you know. And I don't know why, just the way I held it, uh, held magazines and books. I always started from the back, <laughs> and just the way I flipped it. And of course, I did that with the big book as well. And you know, I went right to a story. I can't tell you which one it was today, but I can tell you that, for lack of a better term, it was the hook that drew me in to the first part of the book. Yes, and again, you know, as identification, it's vitally, vitally important. Uh, but once you've identified, uh, once, once you're, you're hooked, you know, now it's time to act like yep. this is a textbook. Let's say, let's, say for, let's say for a minute, Monty, you wanted, uh, you wanted to... to uh, to, to experience algebra, there were some things in, things in your life that you really needed uh, algebra for, and you started going to a bunch of algebra classes. However, you never opened the textbook and never did any of the uh, exercises, so you never solved any of the problems at the end of the chapter, yet you would just go and show up at algebra class so that you could talk about algebra all the time. <laughs> would you get would you get uh, a real experience of algebra that way? <laughs> no way. <laughs> and that's I believe that that's what happens uh, a lot of times at recovery meetings. I think people uh, people go there and talk about uh, a whole lot of things. But if you want to solve some problems in your life, if you want to um, if you want to learn how the first one hundred or one thousand people recovered from alcoholism, then basically. Uh, Basically, you need to you need to operate out of this book as if it's a textbook. Now, again, uh, you know, certainly this, it, there's places in this book, and uh, I certainly believe that this is not the only way that somebody uh, somebody can can recover. There's a lot of other uh, other avenues out there. However, none of them have been as successful with as many people. You know, you're always hearing every every five minutes there's a cure for alcoholism on TV or there's a pill you can take, and you know if you really really start to look into uh, the statistics and the efficacy uh, of those methodologies or those medications, you're you're going to find them wanting compared to the four million uh, uh, recoveries uh, that is uh, that is apparent in uh, in the fellowship of uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I think this is a really good place to start. Now, now, is this the only thing for everyone? Um, I don't think that's inherent in this uh, in this recovery philosophy or even the text itself. However, uh, it offers um, it offers a program of recovery, and you know, for um, for the next several weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about uh, the recovery program as it's laid out in in this text. Now, uh, there's many promises in this book. Um, one of them is on the title page. Let's go to the title page where it says Alcoholics Anonymous at the top. All right. The first promise is the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. There was a huge controversy um, that's that's been going on for a very, very long time. Recovered, recovering recovery. There's different ways uh, that different people use the meanings of those terms. Mm-hmm. There are the people that believe we're always recovering, and there are the people that believe that we're recovered but we're not cured. Right. Uh, there's many, many different ways to, to, to look at this. The book Alcoholics Anonymous uh, basically says that uh, inherent in this book is basically that if you follow um, instructions, if you follow directions, that they consider the people who have followed directions and have started helping other people to be recovered 
alcoholics. Right. So because the book says that, I'm going to say that. You know, I, I like to stay out of controversies that uh, I can stay out of. Uh, but my, my personal belief is uh, the difference between uh, recovery and cured is this. If you're recovered from an illness, uh, that means the symptoms of the illness are removed. If you're cured of an illness, that means the illness itself is removed. With alcoholism, as with drug addiction uh, and uh, a lot of the addictive illnesses, I don't believe that you're cured. I believe there's still a part of you whether it's in your mind or your body, that is not 100% back to normal. However, the, the symptoms of the illness can be removed. In other words, you're not drinking anymore. Uh, maybe some of the, the, the grosser character defects uh, that were uh, being promoted by your alcoholism uh, are, are much more under control. Uh, you're a lot more level-headed, you've, you've become dependable at work, you're not blowing up your personal relationships every five minutes. Uh, a lot of those things come back into line uh, after, um, after some time and after working a recovery program, hopefully. And I believe if that's, if that's taken place, uh, I see no problem in you uh, identifying yourself as a recovered alcoholic. As long as you know that you are not cured. Uh, your your uh, liver and pancreas are still not going to be able to tolerate alcohol in any form at all. And if you, um, if you back away from uh, the spiritual disciplines inherent in, the, in, the, in, this, uh, in this book, uh, you, could be, uh, you certainly could be placing yourself in a position for relapse. But, um, Let me ask you a question here, okay? I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute. Well, I'm not even going to do that. I'm just going to ask you this. Um, there are several uh, co-founders that actually use the word cured. And in the big book, uh, uh, Bill W. actually, uh, when he's re- referencing, the, you know, or when he's talking to Henrietta Slyberling, he says, he talks about how he's thanking God that he was cured. Do you think it's a matter of semantics there? I think in that case it was. Because yeah. in, the, in the book, it basically says, we are not cured we have a we have a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So in the 164, it basically says that we're not cured. However, it says we're recovered. So whatever whatever semantics um, uh, you're going to deal with, it has to take into account what's being said in the first 164. There's, there's places all in our literature, take the cure, you know, the 12 steps is the cure. I think, I think it is semantics. Uh, however, um, I really like to stick to, um, uh, ra- rather than go back into some of Bill's letters or some of the early history, I really like to stick uh, in a big book study to what's in this book. That that way, um, that way, you're open to a lot less uh, less criticism from the uh, uh, from the history and tradition uh, attorneys uh, that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that try to come after you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You you bet. You bet. All right, I'm going to start on the preface, uh, if that's okay, Monty. Yes. All right, the preface. This is the fourth edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. The first edition appeared in April 1939, and in the following 16 years, more than 3,000 copies went into circulation. The second edition, published in 1955, reached a total of more than 1,150,500 copies. The third edition, which came off the press in 1976, achieved a circulation of approximately 19,550,000 in all formats. Again, I'll go back to the fact that we're publishing many more books than we have recoveries. Because this book has become the basic text of our society and has helped such large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists strong sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. Um, Again, I want to point out the fact that this is the basic text for our society. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've, that I've seen happen is a lot of people who want to, um, want to learn what about the 12-step recovery process go to the book, The 12 and 12. It's, um, it, it's, it's, it even makes sense. It's, the book is titled, and it's published by Alcoholics Anonymous, 
it's titled 12 Steps and 12 Tradition. Right. So if you're trying to learn about the 12-step program, wouldn't you go to the 12 and 12? However, um, that's, that's really misleading, because the 12 and 12 was published to broaden and deepen the, the 12 steps as they were already laid out in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. They're basically essays on the steps. They're not, they're not necessarily instructional. So um, what, how important is a textbook? How important is a textbook? If you're learning a discipline, don't you need to pay some real strict attention to the basic text? Absolutely. I believe, I believe that you have to do that, too. Um, therefore, the first portion of this volume, describing the AA recovery program, has been left largely untouched in the course of revisions made for the second, third, and fourth editions. The section called The Doctor's Opinion has been kept intact, just as it was originally written in 1939 by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, our society's great medical benefactor. The second edition added the appendices, the 12 traditions, and the directions for getting in touch with AA. But the chief change was in the section of personal stories which was expanded to reflect the fellowship's growth. There are changes. There are changes in society. There's changes in uh, in a lot of different things. So um, I think it's a good idea to update some of these stories. However, my favorite stories are the ones from the first edition. Uh, there's only a few of them that are still published in uh, in the fourth edition. However, they are still in print. You can get them uh, from, from Alcoholics Anonymous World Service. Uh, I believe there was 30-some original stories in the first edition of the book. And they're very interesting uh, because they detail out, I think, a lot better what, uh, what the recovery process was in the early days. And again, I'm going to state the recovery process in the early days was, uh, I think there was a lot more emphasis on the recovery process and a lot less emphasis on the fellowship so i think there were higher recoveries in the early days so that's what i like to, to pay attention to um little story dr bob's night bear and one other personal history from the first edition were retained intact three were edited and one of these was retitled new versions of two stories were written with new titles 30 completely new stories were added and the story section was divided into three parts under the same heading that are now used. In the third edition, part one, Pioneers of AA, was left unchanged. Nine of the stories in part two, they stopped in time, were carried over from the second edition. Eight new stories were added. In part three, they lost nearly all. Eight stories were retained, five new ones were added. This fourth edition includes the 12 concepts for world service and revises the three sections of personal stories as follows. One new story has been added to Part 1, and two that originally appeared in Part 3 have been repositioned there. Six stories have been deleted. Six of the stories in Part 2 have been carried over, 11 new ones have been added, and 11 taken out. Part 3 now includes 12 new stories, 8 were removed, in addition to the two that were transferred to Part 1. Mm. Not that, you know, if you want to get a hold of all these stories, especially the ones that were uh, that were taken out in the different uh, editions, mm -hmm. they are uh, they are for sale uh, uh, through Alcoholics Anonymous as uh, the complete stories of the Big Book. I'm not really sure what they call it, but you can find them. Good. All changes made over the years in the Big Book, AA members' fond nickname for this volume, have had the same purpose to represent the current membership of Alcoholics Anonymous more accurately, and thereby to reach more alcoholics. If you have a drinking problem, we hope that you may pause in reading one of the 42 personal stories and think, yes, that happened to me, or more important, yes, I've felt like that, or most important, yes, I believe this program can work for me too. Ah, I like that. I like that because what that what's that what that's doing is you know we're talking a little bit about some knowledge and so forth here, and then it's giving you some solution right off the bat. I believe this program can work for me. Yeah, uh, we need to we need to remember that this book is about uh, laying out the program of recovery. Mm -hmm. um, I really think that over over the years there's been. Uh, there's been a whole lot of 12-step uh, 
fellowships that have been started. There's probably over 250 different 12-step fellowships today. Uh, and they, they all borrow the 12 steps from Alcoholics Anonymous. But I believe any thorough understanding of the 12-step recovery process, uh, you would need to go back and you would, need to, you would need to look at the foundational document of 12-step recovery. And that's really the, the, the book, uh, the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. Sure it is. You know, um, I'm going to move to the forward to the first edition. All right. The forward as it appeared in the first printing of the first edition. Do you, know, you know how much a first printing of a first edition will go for now in really good condition, Bonnie? <laughs> I've seen a couple uh, advertised on on the Internet. And I think the last time, and this has probably gone up, I think the last time I saw one, it was in the $1,200 range. Yeah, and those are the ones that are hammered. I mean, if you could find one with a still intact dust jacket in really good shape, uh, sometimes signed by some of the earlier members, right. you're, you're looking at $100,000 and up. Really? Yeah. I oh, mean, my word. It's extraordinary. I, I, knew, uh, I knew someone who had Hank Parkhurst's big book. Uh, Hank was one of the original authors of um, a story in the first edition, and we'll talk a little bit about him. He helped write the chapter to employers, and he uh, he lent his office uh, to to Bill Wilson for the writing of the book. And he, I think, he had more input in uh, in the book than people give him credit for. Unfortunately, he drank, and that take a that took a lot of his status away back in the early days uh, of AA. Uh, but, um, but having that book, that probably was like uh, big book print, uh, the third big book to come off the printing press. And I knew someone who had it and sold it. He wouldn't tell me what he got for it, but uh, I'm figuring, you know, it was somewhere between 100000 and a half a million dollars. My goodness sakes. <laughs> yeah, that, that, you know, that's a guess. Yeah. But... Um, you know, you, you you will find people that really want something like that. Yeah, you All bet. Right. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. I'm going to change the inflection in my voice whenever you see uh, you see the font change. Um, uh, Bill had the fonts change whenever there was something very, very important to say. Uh, he would, you know, give you a, a different font. And precisely how we have recovered uh, is changed in the font. And I believe it was so that you paid close attention uh, to that. Mm -hmm. then we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many did not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. It is important that we remain anonymous, for we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals which may result from this publication. Listen, they, they were overestimating uh, the, uh, uh, the response to this. One of the things that they did was they put a bunch of postcards together. They had a whole bunch of these things printed, and they did it on borrowed money and fraudulent stock is basically, <laughs> basically how they did it. Typical alcoholics. You know, Bill Wilson was, was like a shyster uh, a stock speculator. Take your money and, you know, promise you huge dividends. And Dr. Bob was a, a failing proctologist. Uh, you know, this is where we come from, you know, uh, with, uh, with the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. But, uh, uh, but anyway, they really thought that uh, they would print up a whole bunch of these, and they would put together postcards. And on the postcards, they basically said, we've got a cure for alcoholism. And they sent them out to all these doctors. Somebody gave them a list of, uh, of medical doctors. And then they were waiting for all the money to come in uh, and a whole bunch of volunteers to mail these books all over the country. Well, they got three responses, and all of them were, were so, so uh, that you could not even understand the writing. 
the doctors that responded to these postcards were so drunk they <laughs> couldn't even tell you know what address they wanted the books to go to <laughs> so uh, they were really really disappointed in the early uh, early sales of this book and um, uh, I uh, I found some one of the historians put together book reviews uh, from 1939 on on the book Alcoholics Anonymous. So there was about 20 or 30 book reviews that were done in various publications, and somebody collected them all, and you can find them online. And uh, almost universally, they absolutely trash this book. They ba- they basically say, you know, this is you know uh, witch doctor stuff, and you know the, these people obviously don't know what they're talking about, you know. And it, it it was it was really trash. That's another thing that you don't hear a lot about, um, right? You know, in conference approved literature, uh, but it was uh, it, it was basically waved on as being you know uh, not very not very significant of a publication at all. When in fact it's turned out to be one of the most significant publications in the last hundred years, uh, it, time would tell how important um, how important mm-hmm. this uh, mm-hmm. this book um, would be. Yeah. And when it says we, uh, it says it's important that we remain anonymous. Um, they really were worried about anonymity uh, in the early days for uh, for a number of different reasons. One of them was they really thought that their lives would be turned upside down by people, by the millions of of alcoholics seeking help, and it, it was it was going to happen a lot slower than they thought. Yeah, you know. So so anyway. Um, being mostly business or professional folk, we could not well carry on our occupations in such an event. You know, there's some things that are not really true in this book too, and and if I if I know that, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention it. Good, mostly yes, please bus- do. Business or professional folk, that's very true, but they most of them weren't working. <laughs> you know, they were <laughs> they were coming off the battlefields of alcoholism. And the smoke was still settling, and it was all—it was also kind of a depression era time, and there was very few jobs, and a lot of these, a lot of these guys were not working. Uh, um, we wanted understood that our alcoholic work is an avocation. You know, this is this is something that they they were not going to charge money for. When writing or speaking publicly about alcoholism, we urge each of our fellowship to omit his personal name, designating himself instead as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think that I think that tradition is 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 important too today. The last thing Alcoholics Anonymous needs is is somebody speaking for it in an official capacity. There's, mm-hmm. they, you know, you look at all the people who are coming up with cures for alcoholism, and you can see what kind of what kind of. Uh, uh, egotistical crackpots there are out there. Uh, uh, this is this is actually a a, a, a very very good um, uh, a very very good uh, tradition, and this also shows how far seeing Bill Wilson was. He was, you know, he was working on the traditions as he was finishing up the steps. He was working on the 12 concepts for world service as he was finishing up the traditions. He could see further ahead than anyone else uh, in the fellowship. Uh, that, is, that is very, very true. He was a, he was a visionary. Now, let me, let me ask you this. When it says, when writing or speaking publicly about alcoholics, uh, alcoholism, we were, and it says alcoholism here. It doesn't say when writing or speaking publicly about AA. Uh, we urge each of our fellowship to admit his personal name. When he says personal name, they, they, are they talking specifically about the last name or the whole name? They're basically they're basically saying if you're going to speak as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you should designate yourself. Uh, 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 or you should omit your your uh, your personal name. So. Well, what happened in the early days was they started to use their first name and their last initial. Now, when you look back in the history, there was a, there was a time when people didn't care much about anonymity. Uh, they would put their picture they would put their picture in the paper, and a big uh, uh, a big ad. You know, uh, if you want to join Alcoholics Anonymous, call Fred uh, Hosfeather. You know, yeah, at at seven seven two three five three five, and. And they they really learned to to stick with this. You know, there were some people uh, there were some people in the Cleveland and Akron area who fought very very hard against 
a lot of these traditions, uh, and there was a lot of groups that weren't weren't paying attention to them, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's something that Bill Wilson fought for probably from 1940 until 1955 or so when they were ratified. He fought very very strongly for them to be uh, uh, to be made official. Uh, as far as uh, Alcoholics Anonymous policy is concerned. Uh, but again, there's been times where people have put paper bags over their head, you know, when they've appeared on, <laughs> on television. I saw, uh, a pic- I saw a picture of a meeting that was like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah somebody's going to be taking a picture. Everybody's going to put bags over their head. You know, there's, there's people that can take anything uh, to the extreme. Right. You know, and if, if we get a chance to talk about uh, the traditions, uh, you know, later on, uh, I'll, I'll, be happy, I'll be happy to do so. Uh, certainly, certainly the principles and, uh, the, the, you know, the, the spiritual uh, principles of uh, uh, Tradition 11 and 12 are, are wonderful, uh, wonderful traditions and very, very important for personal um, personal recovery. Mm-hmm. So uh, we earnestly ask the press also to observe this request for others, otherwise they, they shall be greatly handicapped. Now, there was a period of time in our, in our history where the press really, really respected this. Letters would go out to all major press, um, uh, uh, press agencies, uh, newspapers, radio stations, etc., etc., once a year, basically detailing uh, the, the policy uh, of anonymity. And, you know, it's unfortunate in today's day and age, anything that will sell copy, anything that will get you five more minutes on the, on the TV stations is fair game. Mm. You know, so uh, I, I've seen so many, um, so many major breaks in anonymity with, uh, with people in show business or, or, or otherwise, otherwise famous people. And there was an individual uh, in Texas who kept statistics on in- anonymity breaks, and yeah. his statistics showed that over 90% of the people that break their anonymity relapse. Now, these are people that have specifically said that they were members of AA and used their full name, or people were able to recognize who they were, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. These are not people that said, I'm in recovery. No, these, these, right. are pe- these are people who spoke, who spoke as a member of right. Alcoholics Anonymous, which, which you're not supposed to do. Right, right, yeah. And, um, and that's what really an anonymity break is. Saying you're in recovery or saying that you're a recovered alcoholic or saying that you have alcoholism, that has nothing to do uh, with AA. That, that's an outside issue. Uh, AA does not own the term alcoholism or recovery. So, so you you you're free to do that. As a matter of fact, you you and I have talked on on numerous occasions. I think it really is time for yes. uh, for people to stand up, and uh, if they uh, if they can help the cause of recovery or the cause of treatment or the cause of insurance reform or the cause of uh, removal of stigma for people that are in alcoholism, it's time to do so. There's a number of people that are doing it, and they're doing it right, and they're not getting in trouble. Uh, with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous because they're following the tradition, but they are getting up and they're saying, you know, I'm I'm a uh, I'm a drug addict who's been you know clean for 15 years. I I saw treatment and uh, treatment works and recovery works, and I think that's really really important for people to do. Very very important. Yeah. The problem with stigma uh, is great. Let's say let's say you're a doctor. Uh, there was um, there was a study done on basically how empathetic you are toward some uh, in alcohol toward alcoholics. In other words, how much sympathy you have toward alcoholics, how, how much compassion you have toward alcoholics. And it was a it was a, a study that was done uh, in the medical field, and they would interview people uh, in first year medical school all the way up through third year residency. Okay, and they found the first-year medical student had a lot of compassion for alcoholism. Okay, they really did. They wanted to help. They wanted to learn more. By the time they were third-year residents, which is basically you're 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 a resident in a hospital, you're still learning, but you're acting as a doctor. The compassion was was unbelievably 
diminished. Okay? Mm. They were pretty much tired of alcoholics. Now, what happens, unfortunately, in uh, law enforcement, uh, unfortunately in criminal justice, unfortunately in medical uh, uh, medical situations, is these people see the chronic stages of alcoholism. They see the alcoholics at their absolute worst, and they see it over and over and over again. And I believe that contributes to the stigma uh, of, of alcoholism. You know, like once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Yeah. And uh, uh, that meaning that, you know, they're never to be trusted, you know, this is a really bad thing, you know, uh, let me tell you some stories about some alcoholics I know. And we, we you know, Anyone who uh, anyone who's in recovery re- really needs to know that it's their responsibility, to, whenever they can, to help uh, combat that view of of alcoholism and of of recovery, because recovery is real, and mm-hmm. treatment works, and there's hope, and there does not need to be wholesale discrimination or com- condemnation. Uh, to to alcoholics that there are sober alcoholics all around you, you just don't know it. Yeah, because they're you know it's sometimes not in their best interest to stand up and say, hey, by the way, you know, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, you know that that doesn't happen very much in the workplace. It doesn't happen very much, you know, uh, uh, in, at the Rotary Club. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but again, it's it's something that uh, that uh, that people need to take responsibility for. I think because um, Faces and Voices of Recovery is doing a great job. You're doing a great job. I think Afflicted and Affected is trying to do uh, a, a good job. Joint Together has been doing a good job. Basically, uh, trying to advocate with anonymity, advocate uh, uh, for the, you know, for the uh, destigmatization of alcoholism and, uh, and you know, to, to try to maybe move forward some of the, some of the, the social uh, uh, and political processes to something that's uh, less discriminatory uh, against people in recovery. I mean, you know, it can be very, very difficult for you. Yeah. Life insurance, it can be very, very difficult uh, for you to do a lot of things. There's a lot of questionnaires where it says, have you ever been treated for alcoholism or, or you know, are you an alcoholic? And it's very, very difficult for um, for some people to to face that. Um, and and for one reason or another, I don't know how relevant it, it really is, you know. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, here's, here's the thing. In 1955, the American Medical Association uh, basically said that alcoholism was a disease. Right. Well, why, why don't people treat it that way? You know, no, uh, very few people treat alcoholism like they would treat cancer or heart disease or hypertension or diabetes. Yeah, they so treat it like a moral issue and not a not a medical thing. It's it's perceived yeah. as a moral issue, right? Uh, and even even people who uh, who sometimes treat you for it, even people uh, who uh, uh, who, are, who should really know better, um, make decisions about uh, treatment and recovery that don't look like the same type of decisions that would be made if they were dealing with cancer or hypertension. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like I'll, I'll give you a for instance, and you know we're getting a little bit. Uh, to left field, but that's fine. We've got plenty of time. Yeah. Um, let's let's look at uh, current practices with uh, with some insurance companies. Some insurance companies will not pay for um, uh, uh, inpatient uh, treatment for alcoholism unless you've failed at outpatient a number of times. So they'll approve for you to go and in, to an intensive outpatient like three nights a week for six weeks. And until you've shown that that hasn't worked, they're not going to pay for you uh, for an inpatient. Now, if this, was, if this was heart disease, could you imagine someone saying, well, we really need for you to go on this medication that really doesn't work that well and have a couple of heart attacks before we're <laughs> going to admit you to the hospital uh, to do the surgery that you really need? I mean, would would society allow them to get away with that? No. 
No, but it's 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 almost a wholesale policy now. Yeah, uh, with treatment for for alcoholism, and and I see it happening over and over again. That's one case of discriminatory treatment. All right, mm-hmm. I, I, you mm-hmm. know, uh, policies really need to be tightened up a little bit. And I think they're moving forward with parity laws. I think they're moving forward, but there's a whole lot more work to do uh, before um, before the treatment is available for everyone, uh, the, everyone that needs it, the right treatment for everyone that needs it. There might be treatment out there, but it might be... It might be insufficient. You might be in, in a much more critical stage of alcoholism uh, than uh, than uh, than outpatient. Uh, you know, might might not really even. And that might be trying to treat a um, uh, treat a laceration with a band aid. You know. Yeah, yeah. And just as we need to change the way we think, I think other folks need to change the way they think. I mean, it's a uh, it's a joint thing if this thing is going to to work for us, the insurance thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, no one wants insurance policies to to go up. But, you know, many, many studies have been done that show for every $1 of treatment, society itself gets back anywhere from 8 to $16. And, and they get it back uh, through a spectrum of things. Uh, decreased recidivism at uh, work, you know, or absenteeism at work. Uh, they get it in um, decreased recidivism in the uh, the criminal justice system. Uh, there's less um, cost to society for the acute symptomology, treatment of the acute symptomology of alcoholism if it's caught earlier and someone gets into recovery. You know, there's, there's many, many ways that society will save money in the future. And, uh, you know, I think, there's, uh, I think there's some politicians and I think there's some people revolving around the government now that understand this and, uh, and are advocating uh, um, uh, and lobbying for much more comprehensive uh, alcoholism and drug addiction uh, treatment policies. They're just they're up against it because, uh, you know, the insurance lobbyists are just, just uh, monstrously powerful. Uh, I, think, I think it's going to have to come down to the country's just not going to be able to afford uh, uh, the the ravages paying for the ravages of alcoholism anymore, and they're going to need to figure out how to pay for the treatment. Yeah, and I think I think that's what's going to end up happening somehow, and whether it happens sooner or whether it happens later, I don't know. But we should, you know, society should start saving some money and and actually you know making it affordable for uh, for people to to get the, tr- the treatment that they need. Yeah, you bet. I'm going to yeah. go back to the forward to the first edition. We are not an we are not an organization in the conventional sense of the word. There are no dues or fees whatsoever. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. Notice the word honest mm-hmm. to stop drinking. You know that was changed in the, in the traditions when they were ratified in '55. Um, in the earlier days, an honest desire to stop drinking meant a lot of different things in a lot of different groups. Uh, and certainly in some groups it meant, uh, are you willing to engage in the recovery processes as, as we know it? Are you willing to do inventory? Are you, are you willing to make amends? Uh, are you, are you re- willing to share your, your defects of character? Are you willing to help others? That showed an honest desire to stop drinking. And, and many people they didn't fool with who didn't mean business. You know, that, that basically is, uh, is how they put it in the text, uh, in later chapters. We are not allied with any particular faith, sect, or denomination, nor do we oppose anyone. We simply wish to be helpful to those who are afflicted. We shall be interested to hear from those who are getting results from this book, particularly from those who have commenced to work with other alcoholics. We should like to be helpful in such cases. Again, understand that they really thought they were going to send this book all around the country, and people were going to use the book to get sober and become recovered alcoholics. That's yeah. what they expected. What, what in actuality happened, this textbook, this textbook really needed to be taught. In other words, let's say you had a textbook for how to fly an F-17, Monty, and I gave you that textbook, and you read that textbook, and then I said, 
All right, the F the F fifteen uh, fighter jet is over in the parking lot. Take her up for a spin. <laughs> uh, disaster. Yeah, it would be disaster. You would you would have some you would have some trepidation about yeah. firing that puppy you, up. You bet. Well, they found that the same was true. Yes, this is a textbook, but it needs to be taught. Uh, they found the most success when someone could sit down with somebody else and explain, you know, identify uh, as an alcoholic and then explain the recovery process. And and Alcoholics Anonymous meetings spread basically by a member of one group moving to another area. That's basically how Alcoholics Anonymous spread as a fellowship. You know, out of the Akron uh, uh, area, Cleveland started. Out of the Cleveland area, Chicago started. Out of the New York area, Philadelphia started. You know, that's basically uh, how it happened with, with different members going to different areas and starting different groups. So, so they, were, they were under a, a mistaken assumption uh, when they put this down uh, in the first, uh, in the forward to the first edition. Inquiry by scientific, medical, and religious societies will be welcomed. And uh, and again, what you don't hear a lot about is they got <laughs> they got some reviews uh, uh, right away in the form of of book reviews and stuff that were uh, that were very very negative. Uh, but what happened was uh, was as the fellowship began to grow, you could not ignore the amount of recoveries. They built up uh, fairly quickly to very significant numbers. And uh, and uh, the people of uh, of uh, religion, uh, the the people of medicine, uh, the people of uh, the psychiatric communities, really started to have to take notice. Wow, buddy! This, how much time do we have? We we are out of time, and uh, I I just want to say uh, <laughs> I've got you know my big book is got a lot of highlights and and all that like like so many folks have. Uh, but now I'm getting even more. And, I, you know, they only come, I think, with four highlight colors. I think they need to start adding different colors than that. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to Staples and get, like, 24 different colors. Oh, can you really? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> uh, that's great. This, this has been awesome. And uh, you, know, you know what I really love about this, Chris, is so many times uh, folks just skim right over the forwards, you know, they 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 just don't see them as important or whatever. They go like you were saying, go to page one, and I think uh, today's show shows really not just how important it is, but how much fun it can be to learn this stuff. I mean, it's a hoot. It is. It really is. And we're we're gonna have a whole lot of fun in some of the other chapters. But I expect we'll take a couple of weeks just on uh, just on the uh, the forward. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then the doctor's opinion will take a couple of weeks, and uh, and that's before we get to page one. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I'm really looking forward this to this, and I want to thank you again for uh, for giving me the opportunity to participate with you, Monty. Absolutely, it is. It's an honor and a privilege to have you as part of the Take Twelve uh, Radio family. Doing this thing with us is just. Uh, it really is. It's just a great experience. And I, I, listeners, check this out. You don't want to miss this. You really don't. Tell your friends. Uh, burn copies of this thing. Do whatever you need to do to get the word out. Because uh, I got to tell you, there is so much meat in here. Not just milk. And we need milk when we're, you know, when we're little. But many of us have been, uh, we've been, you know, we're a little elderly in the fellowship. And maybe we need to get into some of this meat by now. Some of the filet mignon uh, of the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and what's in this book. Uh, Chris, next week we'll be picking up, uh, I'm assuming, with the forward to the second edition. Which yes. it gives us, uh, it describes the fellowship as it was in 1955, correct? Uh, it describes a whole, there's a whole lot of really important material in the forward to the second edition. All right. Good stuff, my friends. Uh, and also, I, I, I want to plug uh, also Chris's uh, website, uh, The Afflicted and Affected, and you can visit that by going to the link on our, on our front page down at the bottom of our main page. In fact, it's on the bottom of all pages. Uh, you'll see it looks like a, a, what do you call that thing? A, not a life raft. Uh, 
lifesaver. Life, life preserver. Yeah, it looks like a life preserver. It says the afflicted and affected. You just click on that thing and uh, go to his site and listen to his podcast, uh, webcast over there. Uh, just some excellent, excellent interviews. I know you, you'll enjoy them. Uh, and you'll get a lot out of them as well. All right, Chris, we will talk to you next week when we walk through the big book again. All right, Monty, thank you. All right, my friend. Now, remember, family, that this show is airing every Sunday, Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and your co-host, The Monty Man. And uh, don't forget tomorrow's show, Speaker Monday, where we have circus speakers and those who are sharing their experience, strength, and hope from uh, a number of different recovery fellowships. Uh, bringing to you really the best in recovery shares from around the world. So don't uh, you don't want to miss that either, as well as all of our shows here at Take12Radio.com. And until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man along with Chris Schroeder, and we are wishing God serenity for you. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs>